As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to 5,000 to 1, the Athletics Leicester City podcast. I'm Rob Tanner. Joining me once again is the Leicester City legend, the former captain, the wall at the back, Matt Elliott. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm liking that one, Rob. I haven't heard that one for many a year, but um, I'm good, thank you. Um, I hope you are too. Looking forward to yeah. having a chat as usual. Absolutely. And even though there wasn't any action... Uh, last weekend for the international break. There's still plenty to discuss, especially because we've seen a rather remarkable situation develop in the Premier League, one that's uh, really uh, engrossed the uh, the back pages of all the, the national newspapers and certainly the athletic guys have been uh, uh, getting stuck into this one, it's this project big picture, this proposal from the owners of Liverpool and Man United um, to sort of bail out the EFL, which is something we all agree, everybody agrees the EFL needs support uh, to the tune of £250 million. But with the, uh, the, the little payoff that uh, they get better control, greater control over the Premier League in the future, I mean, it's something that's really alarmed me. I've been speaking to a few people around Leicester City and Matt, and they've been very guarded about how they react to this because obviously it's quite a controversial subject and they Leicester like to do their business and they're talking within the boardrooms and as we speak there'll be a, a Premier League meeting uh, going on today and I'm sure Susan Whelan will be having her saying that she doesn't speak apparently um, very often she uh, she doesn't dominate the conversations in these meetings but when she does speak everybody listens because she uh, she t- sort of has the respect of everybody in the Zoom room as it were but um, mm-hmm. this this could be a very interesting one because this for me it, it, what it, it's the audacity of this because um, on the face of it there's some great offers here. I mean, the, the Football League are at their weakest, the most vulnerable at the moment. They're desperate for the cash. And here's the cash. But it's the payoff um, that uh, really is, is, is so unsubtle for me in terms of getting rid of the one vote per club uh, scenario in the Premier League, having more power for the big six. The fact that they've included Everton, West Ham and Southampton as the three other sides that have been in the Premier League the longest. So they'd have a power block of nine, but only two thirds of that nine would be needed to vote through legislation, even to the extent where they could block a takeover of another club in the Premier League. I mean, you could go through all the points in it and it's just, it's remarkable. It's, 
it's a Trojan horse, but with all the soldiers on the outside. I mean, I thought Simon Jordan summed it up as well when it's a wolf in a wolf's clothing. You know, it's so unsubtle in, in the way it's such a power grab that it certainly has left um, a bit of taste in my throat because uh, this isn't what English football is supposed to be about, where the elite gets stronger and more powerful uh, to the cost of everybody else, is it, Matt? Well, you certainly you like to think not, don't you? And um, you can tell by the, by the way you're talking there, Rob, you know, how much it concerns you, and rightly so, really. I mean, there, there are so many details of it that you mentioned there to discuss, aren't there? And, you know, without going too deep, I mean, there's lots of terms associated with this proposal. Already. I mean, another one is a sugar-coated cyanide pill. I heard someone mention it as, and uh, in many ways, it's... It's very, you know, I think it's very apt, but um, the subtlety or the lack of it is the one that amazes me. You know, it doesn't even seem, you know, very cleverly sort of put together. You know, it uh, almost an arrogance about it, isn't there? And I mean, well, why isn't why isn't the proposal coming from the actual Premier League itself? You know, as far as I understand it, that, that's not the case at this juncture. Perhaps that's why they're having meetings and trying to sort of fathom a way forward but as far as far as I can understand it, it's coming primarily from Liverpool and Man United from the, the, the people in charge there and you know expecting the other clubs to to agree to it which I can't see happening <laughs> why would you on, again on the face of it, it it looks perilous to say the least in in the medium to long term if not the short it's got the backing of certain members of the EFL and you can understand why, because it's, it's certainly a, you know, it's a shot in the arm for them, isn't it? But um, surely for the bigger clubs to have an extra grip on the way forward would be very, very dangerous. And uh, you, know, you, you fear for a hell of a lot of clubs in the long run, medium to long run, if this was to happen. And, uh, and I'm sure that the other clubs will get together, as you mentioned, Leicester City being... A major voice, you would imagine, um, through any meetings that that go forward. And they'll have plenty to say about it, I'm sure. Well, Leicester City are very much involved in this because apparently these talks with the EFL chairman, Rick Parry, and the owners of Liverpool and Man United stem back to 2017 when Leicester City had just been crowned uh, champions the previous campaign. And obviously, we knew at the time that would upset the apple cart. I mean, the big six, the, the giants of English football, we're a little bit embarrassed by how lowly Leicester City... I mean, let's go back. This isn't the Leicester City of now. This was Leicester City that just hung on to their Premier League survival. That is the beauty of the Premier League, that we've got stories like this. But this this plan that has been proposed now, and it was leaked last weekend, uh, and Rick Parry has been speaking. Nobody's been speaking at Liverpool Man United about it. Only Rick Parry's been fronting this up, which, uh, again, it seems rather strange. I mean, one of his statements was, we all know that the EFL needs support, but nobody else is coming up with a plan. At least here's, we've got a plan. It's a proposal. And he doesn't see it as a, pa- a power grab, which I found incredible. I mean... Oh, it, it, the, the way that this is being done is so underhand and backroom chatting and it's very much uh, a, a little closed club and that is what creates the mistrust in the future. The fact that they've been discussing this for such a long time behind everybody else's backs and then throwing it up at a time when the EFL are in such desperate need for support. I mean, the £250 million, why can't the Premier League just give the £250 million to the Football League? Correct. Because these yeah. clubs are going out of business. They spend £200 million a year on agent fees alone. They've just spent over a billion pounds in the transfer market. The money is in the Premier League, and they could just, with a stroke of a pen, 
alleviate all these concerns. And what sort of gets me a little bit is I know football is very partisan and the fan base is certainly of Liverpool and Man United are extremely partisan. They will back their clubs to the hilt. But I'm sure there'll be a lot of Liverpool fans very uncomfortable with this because you think about the makeup of those areas, the very socialist areas, you know, everything's about justice and fair play and, you know, it's um, one for all. They would certainly go down the one person, one vote line rather than um, everybody's equal, but some are more equal than others, which is what Liverpool and Man United are saying at the moment in terms of this proposal. That doesn't fit with their communities that they represent and it does seem to me owners of a football club that are out of tune with their communities which is the opposite of of Leicester City here although they come from Thailand they're very much in tune with the community within I mean and I think it was noticeable that one of the EFL clubs that's desperately needed the, the money but has turned around and said hang on a second this is wrong is Tranmere Rovers on Merseyside as well because it does it doesn't sit well with the ethos of their area their socialist background um, so I, I can't see this and what my big concern Matt is this is just a ruse this is this is just the opening gambit. There's something else that's going to be coming along in in the future, and obviously we all know that's going to be ultimately a European Super League. And this is just paving the way for some of these clubs like Liverpool, Man United. They've already got one eye on joining a European Super League. Um, so that's why I think that's the only reason I can think of why it's so unsubtle. In reality, they've got enough dominance in a financial sense. Some of the bigger clubs. Um, you know, you can only have such a disparity up up to a certain point in an economic sense, because you know, because they do generate the big four, certainly do, and stroke the big six, so much more revenue, don't they? So the facility is there to, you know, financially have more sway, i.e., bring in better coaches, players, etc. Supposedly, it doesn't always work out that way, as we know, thankfully. But it, to, to me, it, it was that question, where is it heading? What What is the actual underlying reason for this going forward? And um, you've know, hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, it's to get to that next level in their eyes, isn't it? You know, just to go up and create the next extension of you know, the Premier League, which has already been mooted previously. Um, some people sort of put their head in the sand and think, no, that, that surely that wouldn't happen because it would change the face of the game entirely. But some people, you know, they see football stroke sport as a business more than an entertainment or, you know, even a sort of cultural activity, really. And they're unscrupulous, aren't they? And they're going to try and maximise it. And without doubt, that that's the way that people are looking to go forward, whether it actually will materialise or not, we don't know. Hopefully that's a little way off because... There's going to be lots of casualties along the way, aren't there? And there's not too much wrong with the Premier League at the moment, other than the obviously the fans not being allowed to go and watch it. You know, there's a big demand for it, and hopefully that will continue to be the case. But it's uh, yeah, it is you know, it is, it is worrying though, isn't it? Because that that's where the intentions clearly lie. Well, exactly. I mean, Leicester probably don't want to be the at the vanguard of the opposition, but they might have to be. Uh, the way they're going and they're one of the clubs that have risen the most in in recent years and uh, clubs like Leicester, Everton, Aston Villa to an extent as well now with the money that they've been investing in their squad they have aspirations to challenge the big six and that makes the big six uncomfortable I mean the prospect of losing Champions League football to one of them uh, in the coming years is a real issue for them as well because of the financial rewards of Champions League participation. But I think it leads on to the fact that Leicester City were the only team 
the only club to oppose the £15 fee for the screening of the games that aren't chosen by Sky and the, the usual uh, broadcasters as well. Leicester City look after their fans. They try to be the best they can for their fans. They've only taken £70 up front for their season tickets and that is still banked. So they never lose that money even when fans do return. They're always trying to think of what's good for the, the, for the supporters because they appreciate and they recognise that without supporters, and we've seen this more than ever since the pandemic, without supporters, the game is watered down. The owners of Liverpool and Man United might want to try and sell it, but without supporters on your side, there is nothing. And uh, so I applaud Leicester City for the way they've conducted themselves. And I implore Leicester City going forwards to step up to the mark and be the leader of the opposition to this this plan, which I suspect won't have the full support of all of the big six, by the way. Um, there's lots of reports of Chelsea are going, hang on a second, do we really want to be in part of this? Not really. So um, we'll see how that uh, transpires. But th- th- we have seen uh, the best side of Leicester City, haven't we, in the, in the last week or so? Convichai. Went about his business previously and obviously he's passed on the same values uh, to can top his son. And obviously under the guidance of the aforementioned Susan Whelan, who's, who does an incredible job <laughs> in, in so many ways, you know, with King Power, the, the company itself, and Leicester City, but um, and many other people as well. But yeah, more often than not, Leicester City get it just about right, don't they, in, in most people's eyes. Um, you see, said there about the the pay-per-view situation. And I think, you know, at this moment in time, to be seen, to be trying to sort of profit, yes, people have, you know, got to exist and get by and hopefully thrive to an extent, but to be seen to try and gain profit at at this time with everything that's going on, it it, it doesn't sit comfortably, does it? It doesn't look look right, as you say. And Leicester to go up against the other 19 clubs, is uh, refreshing, but it's also quite disappointing that everyone else is willing to go along with it, isn't it? You know, it's, it's Premier League clubs, yes, they need assistance, but it's, it's the EFL clubs and the, the, the non-league clubs, isn't it, that really need looking after right now. Um, you know, the Premier League can cut the cloth possibly for a short-term period and regather at a better time, but uh, the little clubs down, but uh, rather than making profit themselves. And I think um, a lot of people, perhaps, you know, people are probably willing to pay a certain amount, but the, the 1495 that was mentioned, a little bit steep to say the least, and hasn't Absolutely. gone down very well, unsurprisingly. But uh, as you say, Susan Wheeler will be, and, you know, her board members and can top, um, they will be big activists in anything, I would imagine, that is discussed at Premier League level, and rightly so. You know, they, they, I don't think they'll take too kindly to being dismissed to any degree or deemed not irrelevant. That's probably too extreme a term, but uh, you know, to be not important enough to, to to be in on proceedings as well. And certainly, they'll have a view. I'm sure. Well, they have the same amount of Premier League wins as Liverpool, so that should give them a voice, shouldn't it? And how do you determine who's who has a say and who doesn't? I mean, I know the West Ham, Southampton, Everton that you mentioned in terms of longevity in the Premier League. It's got to be current situation as well, isn't it? And you know, Leicester are right up there, aren't they? And there should be, well, I don't know. I mean, we can see the uh, the inequality that's going on there. Hopefully something is done about it. Absolutely. One club, one vote. 
I mean, Leeds have just come into the Premier League. Uh, in terms of longevity in recent years in the Premier League, there is none. But they are a massive club, so they deserve to have a say as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's talk about this weekend's game, Matt. Let's move on to football. Let's talk about things that happen on the pitch, and we've got a big game on uh, Sunday night, uh, Leicester versus Villa. It's a local derby. Now, this has always intrigued me since I came over to Leicester to start working from the West Midlands about rivalry because... You know, my family from Birmingham and it's the Blues, Villa, Albion, they're all on each other's doorstep, fierce rivalry, fans working together, so there's always that workplace banter. When I went over to Leicester, I used to ask, who's the big rival? Who's the number one rival? And it all depends where you're about. It's in the county you live. If you live in the south, it was Coventry. If it was in the north, you know, Forest or Derby, depending on what area of, of the county. But if you look over recent years, we've certainly been Forest and Derby's um, lack of participation in the Premier League for for the last few years. It's been Aston Villa, hasn't it? They're the big rivals, aren't they? And we certainly saw that um, last year with the two games in the league, which Leicester were very dominant in. And then the uh, League Cup semi-final when Villa sneaked through to the to the final. So there's there's a real... There's something different about when Leicester play Aston Villa. It's, it's not a normal um, fixture for me. Yeah, no, I'll go along with that. And even going back to... My time, uh, you know, when I came to the club, there was, I don't know if it was straight away, but at times, you know, Coventry were in the Premier League, Forest were, Derby were, Villa were, we played against all of them. We didn't know who to fall out with, to be honest, back then, <laughs> or who to not get on with, because, uh, like, coming to Leicester, you, you developed an affinity for the club straight away, but also the area as well, you know, you, it's a one club town and, or city, sorry, and uh, people have a lot, a lot of affection and loyalty towards the city, and and you develop that yourself, and naturally that these rivalries are spoken about. But in truth, I don't think there's one definitive local derby. There's a number of semi-rivalries, aren't there? And with us, it developed probably more than anything. It was against Villa, um, similar to the current day, but current days, especially because it, you know, well, the other three are not in the Premier League, so there's it, <laughs> less of an issue. So there's more focus on Aston Villa, that, you know, high-profile club, aren't they? And huge club, historical um, background, etc. And and there's so many th- sort of little links as well, aren't there? The Brian Little's scenario, John Gregory even. Um, you know, players have, have gone over there. More often than not, it's from Leicester uh, to Villa. You know, sort of, Julian Joachim, maybe Mark Draper and Simon Grayson went over. I know a couple have come this way. I think Gary Parker came. Did he come from actually from Villa to, to Leicester? I think he did. And yeah, I think Stan, he did. Stan Collingwood did the sort of latterly. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, well, it's East West Midlands, isn't it? <laughs> so I suppose straight away there's a bit of 
bit of tension there, bit of rivalry, and Villa are meant to be. I, I remember in the semi final of the Worthington Cup, you know, everyone was talking about Aston Villa going through in two thousand, and they had the more high profile players at Mersons and. You know, the, the Ogs, it was about David James and, you know, three or four others as well. And we were unfancied Leicester, etc. weren't we? So we, we sort of took great delight in getting one over on them, which uh, we did more often than not, in truth. And I think, so just before those days, our, our time was a continuation of that. And ever since, there's been a bit of, I think Villa were a little bit wary of us at that time, and they and they have been ever since because they still consider themselves a bigger club than Leicester. Some would say justifiably, um, in in terms of history, but they can't shake Leicester off, can they? And then Leicester go and win the league. They've got the audacity to win the league, and they they, they would have absolutely loved that. Leicester were favourites in the semi-finals over the two legs, weren't they, last season? And for Villa to go and nick it as they did. Uh, that you know, they would have been absolutely delighted. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. The shift of power has gone towards Leicester in terms of the Midlands rivalry over the years. But this year, in the transfer window, Villa have had a good transfer window. They've invested. They've brought in Ollie Watkins, a centre-forward at last. is one thing they were obviously lacking last year. They were so reliant on Jack Grealish and Ross Barkley to come in as well, um, to be a creative spark as well as Grealish in that midfield. They are a different proposition this year for Leicester to deal with. And we've got a few injury concerns around Leicester. Leicester aren't up to full strength at the moment. Certainly with Ricardo Pereira still coming back and Diddy being missing. There's some uh, question marks over um, Suyunsu on international duty, whether he's picked up a, a knock as well. So you add all these elements in and it's hard to say who actually is going to be the favourites. Uh, because They've just beaten Liverpool 7-2. I mean, that was an extraordinary game. And admittedly, they had about three big deflections in there, but still, <laughs> they, it was still an impressive performance against Liverpool, even if the defending wasn't so impressive from Liverpool. But uh, it, this could be in the balance. But let's talk about some of the options here. How, for start off, do they go with the back three? It let them down, I thought, against West Ham in the last game, but it, it served them well at Man City. Does he stick with it? Is this a Man City type game or is this more likely to be a West Ham type game? Exactly. You would imagine more likely the latter. Um, I think there's a time and a place for the back three. I'm not convinced in certain situations that Leicester are totally at ease with it. Away against Man City, it was primarily, certainly initially, wasn't it? It was a backfire. You know, sit back, soak it up and fill that way into the game. And they did so in fine style, didn't they? And then, then they were able to sort of grow and be a bit more expansive as time went by and the, their confidence increased. But at home, you know, where, where you, you, you're going to open yourself up a little bit more. The wing-back's going to be that little bit more adventurous and advanced. And all of a sudden, it's a different proposition for a back three. And they've looked a little bit disjointed at times. I'm, I'm not sure it 100% suits them. So, be interesting actually to see which way Brendan goes because 
you know, he, he studies the tactical side of it very deeply, doesn't he? You know, he can, he's very considered. Um, he, he, more often than not, he explains his reasons for going a certain way. I don't know. For me, it, 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 it detracts a little bit from their game at home when they want to go and force the issue. Like you say, against West Ham, I didn't think it was necessary. And I think a number of times defenders got caught between two stalls and it was part of the reason, on reflection, why they conceded those two goals in the first half. But yeah, there was poor individual defending amongst that as well. So, you know, whichever system you play, you've got to be on your game and they weren't. But uh, yeah, for me, I'd, personally, I, you know, <laughs> Brendan won't be listening to me or you, Rob, but... Um, well, if he does, he won't take any notice, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I like it when Leicester have got the back four. For me, when, when they're playing at their best, like that, at pace, with a confidence, with a, a little strut in their play and their stride, they can really sort of tear teams apart, you know, with their triangles. They've got people bombing left, right and centre. Teams don't know where they're coming at them from when they're really on song. And I think you know, that's the sort of level that... They one they're capable of, and two they've got to achieve regularity of. And um, personally, I'd go with a four, but uh, time will tell. Time will tell. Well, here's another one for you then, Matt Wesley Fofana, new signing, 19 years old, not a lot of experience, only 30 senior games, but he's played for Fran- the French under 21s and had an outstanding game uh, the other day. So, would you throw him in? Because with Danny Amate got that hamstring injury against West Ham, how unlucky is he? Uh, also, these doubts that we're hearing about Siyunsu as well. It's either if he goes with a back four, he might have, it, have to be forced to play with a back four. And is it going to be for final Wes Morgan to partner Johnny Evans? Well, I was going to say, people are forgetting about Wes Morgan there a little bit, aren't they? And uh, well done to you. You, you included him in the, in the mix. And if Siyunsu wasn't fit, obviously I haven't seen him up close hand and you know, how he operates, but I wouldn't see why not. I, I think he'd probably be loathed to play Evans and Morgan maybe together right now. I don't know, you know, in, in a four. It's in the level of football that he's been playing, Rob, and albeit, you know, not for that long a time, but the, you know, the quality of player that we're, we're talking about, and he's a French under-21s, confidence is high, moved to a new club for big money fee. Uh, I'm sure he's capable of stepping straight in. Yes, you, you'd like to think so. You don't spend that money just... Just on a prospect, do you? You know, not in the centre half position. But I'm sure he's got a lot to learn, but he's got all the basic attributes accordingly. Um, I don't think Brendan would be, uh, you know, too hesitant to put him in if, if, if necessary. If Sancho wasn't fit, no. Well, the other talking point is Grealish is obviously their figurehead, their main man. Leicester, it, there's always comparisons made with uh, Madison. And Grealish, although I think they're very different types of player. I mean, Grealish is very much on the front foot taking people on. Uh, I, I think Madison is a, is a clever player, likes to float into spaces and pick up the ball and turn, take the ball on the turn. I think they're very different, but they're very, very similar in terms of their importance to Leicester City. But we have seen with the emergence of Dennis Pratt. Now we're assuming that Pratt and Madison are both going to be fit because of the international break and they've had a rest. Um, but which one would you go with? Because when Pratt played as number 10 running in behind back four he looked really uh dangerous early in the season and then Madison we know what Madison can do we saw that goal against Man City at the Etihad do Leicester City go with Madison or do they go with Pratt tough one isn't it I think ideally you'd like to incorporate both of them in there you could do that if you're playing the four well I've said about it before four three three with, with Leicester but they could play 
earlier in the season playing four two three one, weren't they? So there would be a possibility of a role for, let's say, Barnes is on the left, two holding midfielders, um, Tillemans and and Mendy, uh, if both available, which we're assuming so. But th- there is space for Madison in that ten role and, and Pratt on the on the Jose Perez position, isn't there? Um, yeah. It, you know, he's shown his we haven't seen that yet, have we? Though we have, that that would be interesting. That would if he if he went for that. But that's a that's a that's a good shout, really, because we haven't really seen Pratt in that sort of role. Not Pratt, no, no. Leicester have played that with Perez there, haven't they? And he Pratt has played sort of wide right, hasn't he, of a four or linking in behind Jamie Vardy a little bit, and um, you know he's done very well at it. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> we've spoken about him. But, post-season, didn't we? Um, that Pratt define himself a role, maybe, and when is that going to occur? But sometimes you can pay the price for your flexibility, can't you? You know, But he's come to the fourth this season so far, and he's been an important member, hasn't he? And, he, you know, some would say he was missed last, uh, last time out against West Ham. So, yeah, I think uh, I think there's a good chance. If, if I mean, Matt Madison... It'd be frustrated that he hasn't been able to get enough game time, you know, since coming back from injury with the international break. But I'm sure he'd been working his socks off and getting himself ready and available. And he's too good a player not to be playing, isn't he? I could understand it, you know, bringing him back from a relatively long-term injury. Um, but it, it it means too much to Leicester. He's got too much creativity about him. You're right; he is a different player to Grealish. They both got the pop star looks and all that, haven't they? And mm-hmm. um, and a similar personalities and an impact on the team. But it, it will be interesting to see them, yeah, not necessarily up against each other, but on the same pitch, competing at the weekend. And I, I think Madison's too good a player not not to be starting really at this moment in time for sure. Well, I'm really looking forward to this one, Matt. Um, So thank you very much for joining us this week. Thank you very much to all our listeners as well. Um, We'll be coming back and we'll be reflecting on that Villa game in the next edition of 5000 to 1. 